Y'all please take a seat. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. Welcome. What I want to do is I want to start by reading a passage. If you've been traveling with us over the past couple weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 3 today. I'm going to start by reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to jump into it. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. That's an exciting word. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of, so now it's talking about John the Baptist, was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he, being Isaiah, said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John, he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him. The people were coming to hear and to see John the Baptist. They were coming out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, this was the religious elite of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. It's a nice greeting. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Hear this. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John continues, I baptize you with water for repentance. Now this, he's going to start talking about his cousin, Jesus, King Messiah. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Happy Sunday, church. Summary of this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, it's an interesting thing. Like, if you grew up in church, you've heard this word repent, or even just American culture, you've heard this word repent. But this word, when you use it, it carries what we would call like a negative connotation. Like if you're a follower of Christ, this is the word that if we're honest, we don't really like it. If you don't believe in Jesus, perhaps this word is part of the reason you don't. Like what do you think of when you you think of repent? What comes to mind? Like what comes to mind for me, and this is probably a little cliche, but maybe it's true for you. It's the person at the sporting event or the downtown gathering that stands there with the microphone, screaming with this heart of condemnation of sin that sets forward eternal consequences as the primary reason by which you must turn by faith to believe in Jesus. Have you ever had a moment where you've come and you've heard someone yelling and screaming, repent? Have you ever had a moment where if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, right, and you're going to an event, let's say you're going to a sports gathering or something like that, you're going to an event and you're with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. And then you walk past and there's a person, oftentimes for some reason they stand on a bucket, I don't know why, but they stand on a bucket, there's generally a sign, there's a microphone, and they're yelling, repent, repent, repent. And then you've got to spend the next five to ten minutes explaining to your friend, hey, here's the heart of this message. Here's how, yes, there can be some truth in what they're saying, but there's a huge difference between what and how. Like this word repent, it's kind of like leaves a bad aftertaste, perhaps in your mouth or in mine. When was the last time you had someone look at you and say, hey, the real thing you need to do, repent? Probably hasn't happened to you all that recently. It's kind of like a negative, it's a hard word. Here's what I want to show you guys today. Here's the beautiful part of what John the Baptist is doing in this public profession, proclaiming the way of the Lord to make straight the paths of Christ. He's going to redeem something. 
He's going to show you and he's going to show me. He's going to call it to this first century Jewish audience. Repentance is a good word. Repentance is a good word. It's not something that's meant to solely heap a sense of shame and guilt and condemnation on you, but that's what we think it is. This past week, I even researched this word just a little bit, not not extensively. I went to a really insightful website, thesaurus.com. Brilliant, I know. I typed in the word repent. Thesaurus, if you don't know what that is, go talk to a teacher, right? There's synonyms and there's antonyms. Here was synonyms for the word repent, as defined by dictionary.com, thesaurus.com, a dictionary. This is an unbiblical definition. It said, what does it mean to repent? It means to atone, to show penance, to regret. My favorite one, to see the error of your ways. But then it's antonym. See, oftentimes you can describe something, what it is, by explaining what it is not, an antonym. The antonyms that it had for the word repent, I was shocked. The antonyms were, be happy. Is the opposite of repentance happiness? No. The other antonym that it had is the opposite of repent, praise, celebrate, rejoice. John is going to show you and he's going to show me how repentance The opposite of that, it is not be happy. Repentance is an invitation to happiness, to freedom, to life. The opposite of repentance and it being a good word, it's not so you can finally come and live a life of praise and celebration and joy. No, no, no. Repentance is on the pathway to that. See, guys, biblically, to define what this means, because this definition is wrong, to define what repent means, it means to change your mind to turn back. You see, repentance, biblically, it does carry a connotation of you have to turn from your sin. Your Bible's very honest about that. John, he is not going to shirk that truth. Sin brings pain. You gotta turn from it. But what do you turn to? You turn to God. See, the word repentance, we think it's just condemnation and shame. It is not condemnation. It is invitation. Repentance is a good word. We're going we're gonna to see this again as we study Matthew chapter 3. I can't wait. We're going to look through this through the first 12 verses. Well, we're going to see it in kind of four sections as we talk about John the Baptist's life. First thing we're going to talk about is the mission. What was his mission? What was he on? All of that. The second, we're going to talk about the man. Who was he? Like, guy's got camel hair. It's a little weird. He's eating locusts and honey. What's that all about? The third thing is his message. And the fourth, we're going to talk about, and you're going to feel the tone change. It's going to get a little heavier as we talk about the magnitude. So if you have a Bible, again, now you can turn to chapter 3, or or you can look it up on here. As you do that, though, just a quick little setup. Here's the beautiful thing about your Bible. The book of Matthew, it's written to a Jewish audience and is describing it as a biography of the life of Jesus. From the end of chapter 2, if you're with us last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph fleeing from King Herod as King Herod tries to kill the Christ child. They've come back. They're residing in the town of Nazareth. But from the end of chapter 2 to the start of chapter 3, approximately 30 years has gone by. Jesus is not an infant. Jesus is not a toddler. Jesus is a grown man. And this message is about his cousin. His cousin was a little older than him. This message is about his cousin, John the Baptist. He was a devout Jew. He'd taken these Nazarite vows. He was faithful, but he had gone out from likely Jerusalem to the wilderness. And he's proclaiming this message. And that's where we start. So jump back in with me. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to stop. In those days, John the Baptist. The Baptist, by the way, it's not a last name. It's a title for what he did. It'd be like John the carpenter, John the builder, John the engineer. I am none of those things. John the Baptist. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What was his message? It's very inviting, very seeker-friendly. Repent, 
For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Right there, that verse, it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Here's what that means. There was an Old Testament prophecy of one who would come, one in the likeness of Elijah, we'll discover in a bit, who would come proclaiming the way of the Lord. And he'd have this message, this mission. So as we understand first and foremost that repentance is a good word, the first thing you and I need to understand is what was John the Baptist doing? The mission. What was it focusing on? And he's very honest with it. He starts with repent. Turn. Change your mind. You, this is real, true, and sincere. It is absolutely a challenge to false beliefs, but intention matters. Is it to heap shame? Or is it a beckoning call to freedom? It's a call to freedom. And then he uses the language there, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is his mission. You need to turn what? Repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Scholars, they talk about what exactly did this mean? If you're familiar with your New Testament as well as scripture in general, here's what you would know. You hear the kingdom of heaven. You hear the kingdom of God. This is oftentimes a reference to multiple layers of things, to a return of Christ, to his kingdom being established on this earth, what it means as he rules and he reigns. Right here, though, contextually, most specifically, what's he talking about? He's saying, my cousin is coming. The Messiah King is here. If you know where it goes to the rest of chapter three, it's gonna be Jesus' baptism. John is gonna see the one whose sandals, he says, I was unworthy to tie. This was John's mission. He was coming in straight out of the gate to prepare the way of the coming Messiah. What is his message? His message is repent. Is that the message you lead with? See, we don't. Because again, we think of it as a sense of like condemnation where you come and you look down, or people in the past, and man, churches have been, not always, but man, have we been tragically poor in this category, where we heap all kinds of condemnation, but we miss the side of invitation. See, the word repent in your Bible, in repentance, it's used 54 times in the New Testament alone. This is not a word that you and I can hide from. It's also used interchangeably with the word faith. You see, faith, it means to turn to God. Repentance means to turn from sin. They are two different sides of the exact same coin. John, in his message, he's saying there's a God in heaven that wants to know you. He's saying, repent. Turn by faith. Will it change how you live? We're going to talk about that. The answer is absolutely yes. But it's a call to something different. And it's fascinating too. Why do you think he went to the wilderness? Have you ever wondered that? He could have stayed in Jerusalem. Why do you think he went to the wilderness? I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. But one of the things that scholars talk about is how he had to leave Jerusalem, Judea, that environment where everything that existed was the religious systems, the religious leaders, in the religious institutions of the day. Why? He had a revolutionary religious message. And he had to go somewhere else. And it was so revolutionary what was happening. The people were journeying. What they think would have been about a day's walk to the middle of nowhere. A dry and arid and a rugged desert. Why? So that they could hear, repent. The king is here. Repent. Turn from your sin. Recognize that you are in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and he has come for you. Repent. This is a word, though, that a lot of times we don't like. I can remember the first time I'd left Georgia. I wasn't a Christian, but I was confused in my faith. I went to Texas, and I went to a church, and a pastor there was preaching. I listened to him a couple times. 
I would later, I'd come to work for him, and I'd have tremendous admiration of this man. First four times I heard him preach, teach the Bible, I couldn't stand him. Thought he was a jerk. Why? The theme of the message was generally repent. I didn't want to do that. Why? Because it meant that I had to look at my life and deal with things that honestly I'd grown accustomed to, honestly I'd grown comfortable with. And anytime someone leans over and challenges, especially if you're like me and you probably have authority issues, all of a sudden you bristle. All I heard was the sense of condemnation. I tuned out, and it was there in the message. I tuned out invitation. There was language that he would even use where he, he would say, truth, message of repentance. Truth without grace, it's a nuisance. It's just beating somebody over the head with truth. Some of you, you've had this happen to you. And then he would say a second part, though. But grace without truth, it's negligence. A repentance is a beautiful call that threads the needle between the two that walks them perfectly. It is neither nuisance nor is it negligence. You see this exemplified in the life of Christ. He came to love with grace and truth. Repentance is a good word. Let's go and look a little bit more at John the Baptist, the man and who he was. This is verses four through six. Keep tracking with me. John, he did not attend fashion red carpets, by the way. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Locusts and wild honey. That was actually commonplace back then. If you were poor and living in the desert, that was actually part of a standard diet. But let me ask, anyone here ever done Whole30? It's like the diet from hell. <laughs> okay, this is like the whole two. Yeah, it was worse. And it was definitely organic. So if you're into that, my family, right, definitely organic. So this is the whole two, but that's where we are. So here's what you got to know. Kind of a weird guy. Stay with me. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. So people were coming. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. It's amazing. So here's what we're seeing, guys. Now we're seeing the man of John the Baptist, a little bit about his background, a little bit about what that mission was showing up, what it looked like out in that dry, desert, arid region as he's baptizing people and them coming out, confessing their sins. Repentance is a good word. You see, right here is you even see John the Baptist and his appearance. We're not going to spend too much time in this. But he was, and Jesus will affirm this later, he was, if you know your Old Testament, Elijah-esque. A prophet that had come as a forerunner of the king. But he's there and he's doing something amazing. He's baptizing. See, for you and I, that's, especially in America, or if you're a Christian here, that's not like surprising language. Here's why that would have been totally different, though, for a first century Jew. We think baptism was only a Christian practice. Baptism was also practiced by Jews in the first century. It was also practiced as a celebration of a sense of conversion. But it was for one specific group of people. Gentiles, non-Jews. So here's what that means. If you wanted to convert to Judaism as part of oral tradition, rabbinic tradition at the time, I know, stay with me, they would baptize you. Here's the amazing thing. Who was coming to see John? Jews. Why are Jews being baptized? Baptism is something for Gentiles. And if you know Old Testament or if you know history, Jews and Gentiles did not get along. It would literally take the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to bridge the gap of all the division, the hatred, the racism, all of it. Why would they come and surrender themselves to the same action as a Gentile. Here's why. Here's why. Jews that were being baptized by John, they were admitting something amazing, beautiful, divine repentance. They were repenting. See, they were admitting that even though they had lived their lives as God's chosen and holy people externally, they recognized in their hearts that they were just 
like the Gentiles that did not know God. They were being baptized to symbolically show their need to be the people of God, not just externally. Say it today, not just showing up on a Sunday, not just going through the show, the routine, the check the box, like I've, I've lived this, if you're here and you're doing it, like I get it, there's nothing but grace. But it's showing, I've got all the right actions, none of the right heart. They wanted to be the people of God genuinely, inwardly. They wanted to follow him. See, Jews being baptized like this, it's this crazy idea. We would talk about it today with language like this. It was a sense of, hey, for a long time, I've had religion. For a long time, I've had a metric, a pursuit of God, a way that I go about it. We we could talk about it like you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Hey, I go Sunday, I give money, I show up Christmas, Easter, and when it's like a big high holiday or family comes together, I feel a spiritual sense of pressure to where that's when I'm going to pray. And then we essentially equate salvation with religion which is where you and I, and man, I've lived this. We create this broken view that we effectively work our way to heaven by how good of a person we are. Religion. Jews being baptized, placing themselves on level ground with Gentiles. It was a beautiful, amazing recognition. I don't want the religion. How we would say it today, I want the relationship. It's a real act of faith. It's a real moment of belief. You've experienced this in your own life where you've kind of gone through something and maybe even you called yourself a follower of Christ like me and then you came and you realized, wait, wait, I don't think I was and something has changed and now I'm different and I want to celebrate it. I want to tell people about it. Because you went from religion to relationship. See, these weren't uh, uh, an atheist culture. They had a view of God. It would have been crazy to sit here and say there is no God. They wouldn't have said that. But their view of God thinking, no, no, we are the chosen people. We'll talk about it in a minute, even with Father Abraham. We're the chosen people. We have the pathway. And repentance was a good word because it showed them. He wants relationship. You're, you're bringing religion. Repent. Do you see how that is not shame? That is not guilt. That is an invitation to eternal change. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Repent is one of the kindest things God can grant you. Excuse me, the kindest thing. And then even as a Christian, even after the moment of conversion, repentance is a moment where I become less like the broken version of me that I so have a tendency to be, and I become more like him. I'm a more gracious, truthful, patient pastor, leader. I'm a dad who instills in the hearts of his kids a love of Christ, and I'm going everywhere doing it, not because I have to, but because I so love Jesus, I want to. I'm a husband, and in the moments When I'm even riled up or I'm there or I have a tendency, man, I can be stubborn and you want to go in a moment, my wife, with a look or a word, she can stop me in my tracks. I can yield to the Holy Spirit. Those are all moments of repentance. And they all bring life. See, repentance, it's by faith. It's an invitation to the love of Christ. But for those who by faith, if you know him, repentance, it is an invitation to life with Christ. Some of you, you're here and you're trying to go it your own way. You're trying to even deal with sin in your own life or you're apathetic towards God. And the invitation he wants you to hear the good word is repent. It's a blessing. It brings change. I can remember sitting, again, I wasn't a Christian, but I went to this, it was college. I went, I was trying to figure out faith, right? Super confused. And I went to like a Christian sing-along. It was one of these things where like one person has a guitar and you sit in an apartment. There's like eight of you and you sing Christian songs and it's super awkward. Anybody else ever been to one of those? Oh, wow. Okay. You guys are not as traumatized. All right. That's great. Way to go, church. Right? Some of y'all are like, it was beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Right? It's weird. But no, it is, it is beautiful. I, lo- I love worship. I can remember sitting there and I can remember 
there was a drastic difference. I even knew some of the songs we were singing. There was a drastic difference. They like sang from a heart of love. Like when they thought of God, they really did enjoy him. They felt this sense that Christians would describe to me later of like grace and forgiveness. Like a sense of like paternal connection to a family of God. I just felt out of place. That season of my life was just marked by religion. I didn't understand the message from the man, John the Baptist. I didn't know repentance was a good word. I was just trying to change my behavior. He wanted to change my heart. He wanted to change my mind. He wanted me to turn back. Let's look at verses 7 through 9 as we continue to journey through how repentance is a good word. 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the religious leaders of the day, right? Think, think like the Jewish special forces. And here's the fascinating thing too. Pharisees and Sadducees did not get along. We don't have time to break it all down. They did not get along. They were divided. But you know when they became united? Against the message of repentance. Let's see that. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then I love this, because John the Baptist, he's in this sermon, and he has this moment, I imagine like the Holy Spirit's just helping him as he's teaching these people, and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, here's what they're thinking. You just told them to repent. Here's what they're thinking. They're thinking they don't need to. Why? Because their father Abraham because their lineage, because the family that they are a part of. Hey, hey, John, John, say this. He goes on to say, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You see, and, and there's a part of it where there's grace and understanding, especially with some of the Old Testament language, but what, what Jews in particular, they'd misunderstood is they thought the kingdom of heaven was primarily and essentially almost just for them to a degree. It had always been open. God had used the Jewish people as a message to save the world. But there was this sense of my eternal security, my connection with God. It's my ethnicity. It's where I was born. It's my family. Couldn't be further from the truth. So what John's going to do here is, again, is he's going to call to repentance. As we see, repentance, it's a good word. But this third section, we're going to see, this is his message. I love this. See, John shows that repentance by faith is what saves. Here's the scandalous part of this. It's not by being religious. You see, John, he shared an honest message of repentance that would have shocked these religious folks. This, this would be like someone coming today someone coming today and preaching this message of, hey, pastor, repent. Hey, Christian folk, repent. Hey, head of Christian school, repent. Hey, this one wouldn't be that scandalous. Hey, politician claiming to be a follower of Christ, repent. Where we would think, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, 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 they're good. You know, I led to Christ two people before I became a Christian. Yeah, I was so confused. Repent. It's this message that he comes. He shares with them this honest message that would have shocked them, and here's why. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones with the connection to God. And he's saying, no, 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 you got to change. You might have all this show of external, and it's a charade. It's hypocrisy as you see that in the rest of Matthew. He's after the heart. He's after the mind. He wants all of you, not the show. First thing John does is he rebukes them. You brood of vipers. See, they're in the desert like vipers. I don't know if they were all around, but they definitely knew about them. What's true of a viper? Creepy, deadly, sneaky. He goes on from the rebuke and he warns them. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I love this. Here's the thing. This is Old Testament language. These Pharisees, the Sadducees, they knew their Old Testament. So right there, John is saying, hey, who's warning you to flee from the wrath to come? They would have thought, wait, wait, you're warning me to flee from wrath? 
no, 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 I'm Jewish. I'm the leader of this. Like, I'm Jewish special forces. You got to tell this to the Gentiles. You got to tell it to the people who don't believe. And John's like, no, 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 I am talking to you. This is God's language for you. Like Old Testament says, hey, we're going to let justice roll down. He's after the heart. Repent's a good word. He warns. Third thing he's going to do is he calls to repentance, except he adds something to it. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember how we said, right, faith and repentance, it's two sides of the same coin, right? Here's what's true. Repentance evidences itself over time. It shows up in action, in attitude, in disposition, in lifestyle. It's true that you can come and at least be confused, if not concerned, if someone says, I've repented, and there's no change. Does that mean that all of a sudden followers of Christ just get their act together, they stop sinning, they never have problems? Nope, not true. But is repentance meant to be normative to where you and I bear fruit as we do it? Yes. See, this idea of fruit, it's going to be actually an image that John's going to develop in this section in the next. It's literally speaking to the idea of a good tree has good fruit. Final thing, he corrects them. This is where we said he kind of sees into the heart. He says, we have Abraham as our father. Lineage doesn't save you. Your parents' faith doesn't save you. Right? Here's what was true. I'm trying to think of the most like spiritual Christian in America. Like Billy Graham's kids, they won't go to heaven because Billy Graham was their daddy. I don't know Billy. I know he's passed. But I imagine he, he sought to impress into them the love of Jesus Christ. But that is an individual thing. There's no umbrella where you get to hide behind a sect, a tradition, a family, a pattern. It's you and the creator. Guys, this is a moment where it's an amazing thing that can be said. The other thing that can't save you, we, we talked about this a little bit, but like religion and relationship, you can almost say religiosity. Very similar, yet different in this way. Right? This is especially true, like if you're here and you're wrestling with faith or you grew up and you're just so culturally Christian, you don't know the difference. Like the reason you don't want to watch nudity is because you don't think you're supposed to not because you recognize it as an offense before God who's called you to something else. The reason you don't steal is because there's an intrinsic sense of morality within you, and that's not all bad. Not because there's a God in heaven who's called you to be marked by giving. The same way he gave everything for you. Do you see the difference between morality driving things that can show up in a very religious way and a real love Real faith. That's what he's speaking to here. I, I was talking with a member of our body. She's great. A little over a year ago, she trusted Christ. Her name's Emmy. Her life changed. She's been growing, teaching, imperfect, just like me, but all this stuff. I was having a conversation with her about faith itself. We were talking about questions I'd used with her, I'd used with family members, I've used with you guys. I say these all the time. Some of y'all, you're probably going to roll your eyes when I say them again, right? It's these diagnostic questions. Why? They really help figure out religion, relationship, religiosity, saving faith. And I said, hey, Emmy, you remember the questions on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being certain, God forbid, but if you were to die today, how sure are you, you would go to heaven? And the second question is, and then you come and you stand before God, and he were to ask you, and he won't ever ask you this, why should I let you in? And she says, yes, John, I remember those. I, I remember all that. And she said, but John, I have a question. I said, of course. She said, the more I think about that, you're either a zero or you're a 10. People keep telling me they're fives, sixes, sevens, eights. Now that I've become a Christian, I don't understand. You're either a zero or you're a 10. And I just went, preach. <laughs> That's the message. We can have a tendency to so confuse that. The first time I was asked that question, I answered a seven. My response, well, I'm trying. There's still stuff I gotta fix, but I'm trying. 
You see that? It's trying to put on this veneer of like religiosity, making yourself presentable. When Jesus Christ comes, and you're going to see this throughout the rest of this gospel, he says, no, I'll take you as you are. Yeah, there's brokenness. Yes, there's sin. I'll forgive it. Follow. Final section. Love the Bible. Let's go verses 10 through 12. Whew. Remember when I said there's going to be a time, and it's already a little bit of, I mean, we're talking about repentance, so it's a little bit of heavy Sunday, right? Right? Remember when I said that there's going to be a time where all of a sudden you're reading the passage, we're kind of journeying along, oh yeah, brood of vipers, cool, but the tone's going to change, right? It's, it's this moment. It's going to get a little heavier. Even now, verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a difference between the baptism John was performing and a Christian baptism today. That one proclaimed the truth. They saw the Messiah was coming. The one today is identification out of obedience that I am now saved by grace through faith, and I identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you are a follower of Christ and you have not been baptized, repent. We'll do it. Repent. But it's a different baptism, so back into the text, right? Here it is, verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. This is speaking of Jesus. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. It's a picture of the magnitude of this message. This is a part where a lot of times you don't, you don't like to lean into this, you don't hear this, but church, we're going to preach this. It's a magnitude in the sense of what is at stake. You see, farmers, they would create a place to tread out grain. So what they would do is they would oftentimes, they'd come and they'd cut into the side of a hill a flat space, a fairly large space. They'd try to level it out. After leveling it out, they would try to wet it down. They'd wait for rains and they'd try to pack it to make a hard surface. Once they would do that, they'd actually create like a wall around it with rocks. They would create a sense to where when wind would blow, the wind would not come below to the threshing floor. Then what would they do? They would throw their wheat into it. At that point, the space, it was big enough for oxen to walk through, and they would literally tie logs that would go behind the oxen, and the oxen would tread out the grain. It was a moment where these logs would be dragged by, and it would separate two things. There was a kernel wheat, and then there was chaff. That was a straw that they were going to throw away. The kernel they would want, they would use. You see, the logs rolling over it would pound it out. And then what would happen, the farmer would take a threshing fork and would walk through and would pick up both and throw them into the air in the midst of the wind. Why? Kernels had weight to them. When you threw them up, they would fall back down. Chaff, straw was empty. It would be blown out. What was left in that pen? The kernels. What was outside? The straw. The farmer would round up the straw and he would burn it. This is a picture of the magnitude of your and my recognition of the word repentance, most specifically by faith. An unquenchable fire. Speaking to heaven, it is speaking to hell. Later on in the same Matthew, and you remember, you remember the tone? It would have felt heavy for the people here. It would have felt heavy for the people John was talking to. It would have been the moment, right, later on in his ministry where Jesus, and I wonder if he thought back to this, where Jesus will reference, it's Matthew 25, you don't have to turn there, where he's going to talk about where some go and where others go. And I know if, you, if this is your first time back to church, and you're like, oh man, they went like fire and brimstone, every church is the same. Here's what I'm telling you, this message, it's fire and brimstone. There's a God in heaven that wants to save you from it, and he loves you. 
His love is the primary act of grace that he wants to call you out. I do believe that love is the primary agent of change. It's kindness that leads to repentance. But don't you dare look past the truth of repentance and how there is magnitude. There is something at stake. Jesus will say later in his ministry, he will say there's two paths. One, and he'll describe it, eternal punishment. That's his language. The other, he'll describe it, eternal life. Your choice. He loves you. I was talking with a customer service rep on the phone Friday. He asked me, or I was talking with him, asking him questions, all that kind of stuff, and I learned he lives in San Antonio. And we're talking through it, and there comes a moment where he says, well, hey, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor, and as soon as you say that, no one wants to talk to you anymore, right? So you just start talking. And I said, well, yeah, man, I'm a pastor. But you're like, all right, we're here already. I said, well, man, do you, you happen to have a faith, spirituality, belief system, anything like that? He says on the end of the phone, he says, well, well yeah. He gets kind of excited. I'm Jewish and my wife is Catholic. I said, <laughs> I said man, I love that. I referenced my friends growing up, uh, all this kind of stuff. And I said, man, I love that. And I said, how did that go at y'all's wedding? They'd been married for a year. If you don't know why, Jews marrying Catholics, it, it doesn't always go great, especially with parents, Right? Here's where the essence where it came down. I celebrated the fact there's a cultural, for him, ethnic, traditional tie to faith. And I celebrated that. But then there's that moment in the pause in the conversation where if you're a Christian, you know it. It's where you feel the Holy Spirit like prompting you to take the conversation to the next level where you really make it about faith itself. Not just learning about them, but telling them the truth. But I didn't want to do it. Why? Pride, fear, ego, insecurity, you put whatever word you want, inconvenience, selfishness, I totally agree with them all. And then by the grace of God, I was reminded of this. Eternal punishment, eternal life. I'm not saying that's my motivating factor for every time I share, but it was this time. And it was a, hey man, can I tell you how in my own life I had a cultural understanding but it changed. I really do believe that Jesus, he came into the world, it's true. He died for my sins and the way that we go to heaven is we believe. Phone gets quiet. I said, man, if you ever wanted to come out to New Braunfels, he knew New Braunfels, you wanna join some friends of mine in the church that we go to, we'd love to have you. I'd love for you to come and it would at least be a different cultural experience. That was it. Church, there is magnitude to this. Repentance is a good word. You see, we don't like the aspect where it just feels like condemnation, but it's not just addressing sin. It is an invitation to change, to freedom, to salvation. Those who walk with Jesus, they know this. They believe this. They fight for this. We were thinking about, and we're going to close with this, we were thinking about this past week, and I was actually talking, kind of like a sermon prep meeting with some friends, and a name came up. It was the name of a friend of mine, a member here, a friend of yours, David Mustard, where we just celebrated how one of the things that's been true as you have looked at his life over the past year is it has been marked by repentance. Does that mean perfection? Nope. Does that mean he has it all together? Nope. Just like me. But it means there has been change. Drastic, beautiful, divine change, as he has sought to turn from sin to God and view repentance is a good word. I want to take our last few minutes together. I want to invite up my friend David. He's just going to share a little bit of how repentance has looked in his life and what that has meant. At the end of that time together, I'll come back up, we'll pray, and we'll get you guys on your way to lunch. Would y'all please give him a round of applause, David Mustard, y'all. morning, church family. Um, as John said, my name is David Mustard. I've been going here to Springs a couple years now. Uh, I've been in New Braunfels for about seven. Um, I would say I call it home now. And y'all family. <laughs> um, there have been a couple times in my life where I found an opportunity for growth in front of me. And God simply says, 
this change can happen now or it can happen later. <laughs> but this is the next step if you want to further, you know, uh, your relationship with me. Um, the Bible calls these invitations um, invitations to repentance. Um, previously, I viewed the call to repentance um, only as a harsh command. Uh, I didn't like that because, honestly, I wanted my own way. Um, it made me feel like things have to change, but there were times that I didn't know how to change or what was in it for me. Um, my definition and view of repentance was broken, but there was still this sense inside of me that God wanted more. Um, he wanted a change in my mind and in my heart um, for me. Um, I wanted freedom, and he was calling me to faithfulness. So I sought to repent. Uh, I didn't often want to repent or change, um, but each time I took a step in obedience, God was meeting me right there in it. Um, over the past year, God has brought my attention um, and in my focus to a few things. Um, first, he wanted me to change how I view him. Previously, it was consistently from a perspective of guilt and shame. Um, that's all there was. Um, when in reality, he was only ever waiting with loving, open arms. I constantly viewed myself as a failure um, and not being able to measure up. Um, when he's only ever called me son and says I'm forgiven. He wanted me to repent of my broken and often unbiblical thoughts of who he is and how he views me. Uh, in addition to that, he also wanted me to deal with um, sin in my life. I had things that I would have always called sin, but if I'm honest, I had tolerated them. Um, I had gotten used to things in my life that Christ died to set me free from. God wanted me to repent in my life, um, first in the ways I was deceiving myself and others. Um, I was lying to myself, and I wasn't dealing with sin in my life at all. But I was putting on a facade, which I've done my entire life, um, like I was fine and holy enough. Um, the second sin I'm express, uh, explicitly dealing with um, is people-pleasing, or now as I see it, um, fear of man. Um, fearing man instead of fearing God and, and how he thinks of me. Um, I was crippled by how other people think of me, um, what they felt I needed to do, um, both in my personal life and at work. Uh, I was the guy who couldn't say no. He w wouldn't say no. Um, and I didn't want to let other people down. And then when I didn't meet the expectations of others, I was left um, just sitting and filled with guilt and shame yet again. Uh, to help me walk through this, I had my community group here at the Springs, um, as well as this discipleship ministry called Regeneration here on Mon Monday nights, um, and my mentor. Um, I won't lie, this past year has been a fight um, to live a life of re repentance. Um, it's been difficult. Um, there's a mountain of lies and sins um, that I had just buried in my past um, that have been uncovered and brought into the light. Um, it's been ugly and painful, um, but one thing I learned is that bringing sin into the light, it shows the power sin has had over you, um, it also gives you a glimpse of hope um, when you see what your life could be if somehow you were freed from its hold over you. For the first time in my life, I was seeking to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I had known Christ for 16 years, but this was the first time that repentance was bearing fruit in my life. It wasn't easy, but I saw how God was changing me. And in hindsight now, I can see what a beautiful work that God's been doing, um, and it's only just begun.
it's exciting to me, honestly, to see how he's going to build on that and do so much more in and through me. Again, I'm the first one to admit um, I'm a work in progress. I have a long way to go. Um, there are many areas in my life that I'm daily fighting to surrender. Um, but with full integrity, I can share that by God's grace, I'm changed. Repentance has become not just a good word to me, um, but something that I want to live by. God continues to change my direction and my mind. My prayer today is that God would keep me humble um, and help me to continue listening to the Spirit. Um, I want to be obedient to use the tools that he's given me in his word um, every day so that I can love him and love others better. Uh, my second prayer is for those of us here today who would call um, ourselves believers, Christians. I pray for those sitting and listening to me now. Uh, I pray that we would know repentance to be a good word. It's not simply condemnation, as John said. It's an invitation to love um, and to life. Uh, the picture I see now is God waiting with open arms. I grew in the love of Christ, and I found life. I'm so thankful that while on this journey, um, Jesus has always been there. He's always been waiting with open arms. He's faithful to forgive me, and he loves all of me right where I am. Repentance is a good word, and he wants to do the same with you today. Let's give David another round of applause. You hear what he said? He said, 16 years ago, repentance took place for the first time in his life. It was the moment he recognized he was a sinner in need of a savior. They need not pull himself up, he need believe. For some of you, repent. He told you, believe is not condemnation, is invitation to change. And then 16 years later, by the grace of God in his life, by the strength of his spirit with his people, never doing it alone, repentance became a pursuit of faithfulness. Repentance is a good word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for today. I thank you for the gift of your word and what it means for us. I pray, God, that repentance would flow, that it would be a gift. We'd view it that way. We thank you that we know that the consequences are real, but your grace goes deeper. We love you. May folks have not have tuned out the other side of the message that is the invitation, but God, may we never minimize or shrink the magnitude of this. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Guys, we thank you all for gathering with us. By way of reminder, today there's a membership class with Jonathan if you want to come and check that out. Folks online, thank you for joining with us both here right before we go to dismiss you guys as well as home. Y'all have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.